This is the Hindu on Books, a weekly podcast from India's national newspaper on the latest and the best from the world of literature. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Hindu on Books podcast. I am your host Shoma Basu in conversation with Tanvi Srivastava, short story and fiction writer. She has translated an action-packed book titled The War Diary of Asha Sen from Tokyo to Netaji's Indian National Army. The book is a memoir of courage of a strong-headed teenager who was living in Japan during the Second World War and decided to join the Rani of Jhansi Regiment of the Indian National Army after meeting Subhash Chandra Bose. Her father, Anand Mohan Sahai, was a close companion and political advisor to Netaji Subhash Bose, and Asha as a teenager began jotting her thoughts in Japanese, which reflected the dreams, hopes and aspirations of those in whom patriotism was stitched in those days. The diary is also the story of INA, and today Tanvi Shivastava joins us from Bangalore to tell us more about this exciting project she undertook and why. A very warm welcome to you Tanvi. Thank you so much Shoma. So uh, my first obvious question to you would be how did you stumble upon this excellent piece of writing in Japanese that too and why did you choose to translate it into English now? Um it's an interesting question and I like the words that you used stumble um because that's quite literally what happened to me. So I started this project in 2021 right in the middle of covid the lockdowns and um prior to that I was running a travel company which was very badly affected by covid and I had these two young kids who were at home all the time just running around um and we were all going insane so I decided to apply for a writing mentorship around the same time and um I got selected and somehow um it was just very fortuitous that I read an article by Jhumpa Lahiri um in a newspaper the same week and in that she said that if you're an aspiring writer and you want to improve your craft of writing try your hand at translation um i had never before this considered translation um i thought of myself as a writer of fiction and i wanted to focus on that but um after reading what she said i said okay sure let me give it a shot um, and i went through my bookshelf i was going through whatever books i had in hindi because um, that's the language i speak and i found asha san's diary So the diary itself had been translated from Japanese into Hindi um by Asha San herself in 1973 and um, I just saw it lying there and I said okay I haven't actually even read it before so let me translate it read it while I'm translating it and um see if I like it and enjoy it enough to complete it and my mentor in the writing uh, mentorship his name is Saad and he's a Bangladeshi fiction writer so he was very encouraging he said if you want to bright just finish this you've started a project it sounds very exciting and i'll put you in touch with my uh, literary agent and we'll make this book happen and uh, when i first opened the first few pages of the book um it was a little difficult to get into because it was written in hindi which is not spoken very widely nowadays um but the more and more i translated the more and more i got like wrapped up in this story and i found asha san's voice and literally over a span of a month and a half i just uh, put the kids to bed and i was up almost all night translating um so so it was just a very thrilling experience for me 
Um, and as a writer of fiction, it's it's very different when you're translating something because you're almost using a different part of your brain. Um, you're not worried too much about the plot, about how the story is progressing. You're just focused wholly on the language and discovering the characters that are before you. Um, so, so it was just a magical experience yeah. for me. So true. I mean, I do agree with it. And I mean, if, right, uh, translating was thrilling. Reading was equally thrilling because, you know, I, I mean, it was so, I, I one could visualize every incident episode that you have described on every page. So, but I also would like to know, so this, since this book was first translated from Japanese to Hindi and then Hindi to English. So what are the challenges you faced, you know, like um, in what happens, what we normally hear in most translated works, much of the original ethos, passion, you know, is lost in translation. So what were the challenges that you faced? Um, it was a very interesting experience, to be honest. Um, one is I have never translated before. So as I was going through the process of the translation, um, I was wondering, am I doing things right? Um, and I was actually speaking to professional translators. I was speaking to people who studied translation, asking them, how should I approach this text? Because it's it's such an interesting piece. Um, it's not fiction it's not just a pure memoir. It's It's got so much history to it that you do feel that it's very delicate and you don't want to ruin it in any way, right? So the feedback I generally got was from, from, from people was to say that think of the text as something that is sacrosanct. You can't change it. You can't edit it. But on the other hand, I had Asha San, who's 94 years old, sitting with me in the living room and saying that here, here's this piece of paper I wrote things on when I tried um, the translation myself a few years ago, add it, add this supplementary information. Um, so it was it was such a fabulous um, journey for me because one, I was working on a text that I thought had been published in the 80s and I had, I had a reprint that was published in 2011. Um, so I thought that that was it. But as I was talking to everyone in the family, uh, my father-in-law Sanjay, he said, you know, no, the, the, the book that was published in the 80s was not the original. It was actually published in 1973 um, in Dharmyug magazine as a serialized uh, entry over three months. So I was like, what? I had no idea. It does that, is that version different from the version I have? Um, and it was really interesting. I managed to find a collector based in Ahmedabad. His name is Naresh Tudani. And Naresh Ji was very helpful. He has this huge archive of old magazines hoarded in, his, in a room in his house somewhere. And he said, I have the issues from Dharmyug. And he went and he found the issues from 1973, scanned it, sent it to me. It was, the, it was the most magical experience again. And then I was comparing that to the version I had and it matched. And it was interesting because you could see that um, that was not the entire book, but that portion of the story was very similar to what I had. Um, and then the information that was added on in um, the, when the book was compiled in 1981, it was slightly more disjointed. It, was, it did not flow as well as the, the version that was published in the Helmyog. Um, so I had these four versions that I was working with. I had Dadi's written notes. I had information with Aisha San um, who would verbally tell me things. So I was wondering, how do I put everything together while making sure nothing is lost in translation and while making sure that I'm not changing things and making sure that the message comes across correctly. Um, so there was a lot of work that went into ensuring that each version is true to itself. And then at some point you realize that translation is almost like excavation. You have these stories that are buried in languages, but the essence of the story remains the same. 
And uh, when when I felt like when I found Asha-san's voice in the book and I could sense that, yes, this was written in Japanese, it was not written in Hindi, and I had her to correct and read whatever I had written, it felt that I had the authority from her to add information. The edits I had made was not uh, factual in nature at all. So, for instance, um, in the Hindi edition, the tense keeps changing from past tense to present tense. And it just makes the, the, the when you're reading it, it does, the story doesn't flow that well. So I changed everything to present tense and it just flowed a lot better. Then just very minor edits as well were made um, just in terms of chronology after, after doing my research. So before we proceed more into your job as the translator, would you uh, tell us for the benefit of our listeners a little bit about the book itself, like what it is about so that, you know, they understand the context. Sure. Um, so I'd like to start off by saying that I'm Asha-san's granddaughter-in-law. And that's a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> so the story is actually, um, you have to understand the Sahai Saga, as we call it. So Asha-san's father, um, Anand Mohan Sahai, he was part of the Indian freedom struggle. He took part in the non-cooperation movement. And as everyone in the Indian National Congress was being arrested, he decided, okay, let's go join the Gadar movement in the US and be useful rather than being uh, in prison in India. Um, but he didn't get a passport to the US. Um, so he said, okay, let me go to Japan. And from Japan, let me see if I can get to the US. When he reached Japan in 1923, he found that there was a small community of Indian expats, um, but nobody was really talking about the Indian freedom movement. Nobody really knew much about what was happening in India. So he said, this is a great base to set up the Indian freedom struggle and start my activism from Japan as a launchpad for East Asia. So Asha-san was uh, born in 1928 in Kobe, Japan. She was schooled in very traditional Japanese schools. Her first language was Japanese. And all of her family, that includes three of um, the three sisters and one brother, they were all very, very Japanese in their upbringing. The family moved to Tokyo right before the war um, so that Anand Mohan Sahai could take part more in, in the activism and the revolutionary activities that were happening. So he was a close associate of Raj Bihari Bose. And through Asha-san's mother, Sati Sahai, they had a previous contact with Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. So the Sahais were quite instrumental in bringing Netaji to Japan, to East Asia, and starting um, the Azad Hind government and the Indian National Army. So Anand Mohan Sahai joined the Azad Hind government as a minister in the cabinet of Netaji. And at the same time, Sati Sahai was also very active in the movement. She was writing for a magazine called Voice of India that they both started. And the children were all there, very Indian in terms of that they've been, they've been taught all the patriotic Indian songs. They were they knew that India and its freedom is what they are living for, um, but also very Japanese at the same time. So very very traditional. Um, and Japan at that time was such an interesting period because the nationalism in Japan, while the empire was being built, was at its heights. So in 1943, when Netaji arrives in Japan, Asha-san and her mother are there um, at at a hotel where Netaji comes and they meet him and they interact with him. And at, at that at that time. Uh, Shasan tells um, Netaji that she wants to join the Rani of Jhansi regiment. So that was her first. That was her first introduction to Netaji as a teenager, and that's what attracted her to the. Exactly, yeah. So it starts there. So the diary starts from her 
meeting Netaji in 1943. And then it covers a period while she's waiting to join the Rani of Jhansi Regiment. And, and it's quite special, this period of being in Tokyo while the bombs are falling, schools are shut open, um, and she's just awaiting this, this momentous occasion of leaving school, having a farewell with um, all her schoolmates present and joining the Rani of Jhansi Regiment. And what, what's very special about the story is it is that the journey is what's very special. It's not just um, the fact that she joins the Rani of Jhansi Regiment and she fights, but just getting to the camp in Bangkok is, is such a journey. When she reaches Bangkok, the kind of experiences she has, um, it's all documented in the story and how eventually how she's imprisoned in camp and she returns to India in 1946. Yeah, like reading the story, you realize that it is it combines multiple things. One, of course, primarily, it is the story of this very strong-headed teenaged girl who's influenced, who's extremely patriotic. And while she narrates her thoughts and stories, she's also telling us the story of INA. She's telling us about Netaji Bose. She's telling us about the struggles, the, the situation that time, the impact of the world war. So it is kind of an all-in-one compact uh, piece of history that we get to read. Right. And I think that's what makes um, it very interesting is that Different types of readers will find this book appealing. If you're interested in the INA, you're going to get pieces of information which you will not get elsewhere. If you are a young person, and and I've got such great feedback from people who are in college in their early 20s, who just relate so closely with this, uh, the voice of young Asha San, the voice of a teenager who puts India before everything else. Um, So the story really um, resonates with a very wide audience. Right. And since you mentioned that Asha San is your grandmother-in-law, so did it make the work easier for you or more difficult for you? (laughs) I think I have to say it did make it easier. Just to give you an example, there's one word in the book where it makes, it's called Hunaryu, and it makes absolutely no sense in the Hindi translation. And I was asking different people, asking people whose Hindi is better than mine, like, what could this possibly be? Nobody had an answer. I showed it to her and she was like, oh, yeah, who are you? I mean, it's a man who's very special. So she had the immediate answer on her fingertips. Um, And she basically, these memories in this time period for her is is still so vivid. It's it's alive. Um, So if I had any confusion anywhere, I could just ask her. And she had all these little uh, diaries and little notebooks still around, notes written mostly after the war, but they were recollections of the same time period. So I could go back and refer to things that she had written again and again. So it was much, it was definitely a help having her around and having Sanjay around who's been with her for so long, who knows the family history. Um, And he was, he's been quite instrumental in making sure that the story is not lost because it's so easy for something like this just to vanish over time. So I think we're just very happy that we could bring the story back. So you, so for the translation, you had the uh, Hindi book, which was originally translated by Yasha San herself, and pages of her diary written in Japanese. So there were some pages written in Japanese, but that was not too much. It was her notes written again in, in Hindi and English that I used as supplementary information. But the base was the diary that was written in Japanese and translated into Hindi by Ashasan herself. 
and the diary itself the original japanese diary we're hoping it's still there in her house in the ancestral home in bhagalpur so the 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 plan is to head there soon and see if we can uh, retrieve any of the papers because when she did the translation she was in that house um so we're hoping that um, there are some remnants so like you also mentioned uh, that you know the hindi translation uh, like when you also read it was perhaps a little formal so when you went in for the english translation so could you just highlight the kind of changes or the tweaks you did to the text maybe keeping some target audience in mind or you know to make it more interesting and riveting for the reader sure so um i think like a lot of hindi texts of the time one the font itself was really small um there were very few paragraph breaks it was a very dense text to begin with so initially all i did was just break up the text make sure that the par- uh, the paragraphs were broken at the exact point that they should be broken and like i mentioned earlier just changing the tense of the text so that it was all consistent present tense but other than that the words are true to the hindi diary and wherever i've added supplemental information supplementary information i have added a footnote at the end saying what the source is and like how it how i have changed the text i would say more than the changing the text it was the chronology that had to be uh, rectified the accuracy the accuracy of the timeline yeah yeah exactly the accuracy of the timeline so for example um, there's this i mentioned this in in my translator's note as well how she mentions that the tokyo boys who were the ina cadets recruited by netaji and sent to training for training to japan how um, they visited the sahai home in tokyo in 1943 now this couldn't have happened um, because they only arrived in japan in 1944 however the date mentioned said it was a sunday so then i matched it to say that yes 1944 july 16th was a sunday so just these small small sort of uh, errors that had crept in fixing them and then there was some places where i tried to match what was happening in the book in the diary to events that were happening outside like where was netaji in april 1945 and seeing that if 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 asha sunset netaji is in bangkok at this time was he really there and if he's not there then i make a small modification to say that rather than saying that in april 1945 i'll say april and may 1945 um just so that it would flow smoothly but um i i did i did treat the text as a piece of history and as something sacrosanct so i did not insert myself which i was very tempted to do obviously as a writer of fiction you feel like that's right but i i was uh, very true to what she had written and the language that she herself used was so mesmerizing for me because even in hindi you could you could get the japanese sensibility the sense of the the haikus that she writes um the minimalism the focus on nature so you did get a sense of how the text was in japanese as well and um while i didn't have any readership in mind in particular i did um, try to ensure that it was it was something that i would enjoy reading so it did, it does become quite gripping and i i found that to be quite a surprise while i was translating it as well that wow this is like such a gripping thrilling story and i remember while translating i i, I was dreaming that i was in these locations <laughs> and and it felt like like i was in asha sans footsteps and and i remember there's one passage when um, she's in taichu and she visits um linchi's palace So in the Hindi book, it was written Rinchi. So I was like, "What is Rinchi? Rinchi?" And I couldn't find it anywhere. And then eventually, when I found Linchi's palace, I was like, "Yes, this is something that exists in the world." So it 
so <laughs> it is it's very satisfying experience right but was researching difficult in any way uh, like digging into history of those years or those times the war period when a lot of things are also confidential so finding some you know uh, nuggets of information which is perhaps not so much in public arena public space so i think like i'm we're very fortunate at this time to have things that are more readily available so the national archives i think they've just done such a fabulous job of digitizing their archives um so you can actually just log in onto their page and request for files that have not been digitized and i did that and i got some papers that i don't think anyone had seen before and it was just fascinating to be able to read these british intelligence files covering this time period covering the sahais calling anand sai an agent of uh, japanese radical japanese nationalism um so so it was very it's it's sort of almost like a hole you fall into and you can't get out you just you keep researching and what was also very interesting is that a lot of the books that were written closer to the time so written in the late late 1940s early 1950s um you can see that the stories are similar the narratives are much closer to what was written in the diary for example um mr sa ayers uh, memoir unto unto him a witness he writes that in the late 40s and he was a minister of uh, netaji's azad hind government so the, there are stories which mention the sahai family which mention mrs sahai in it in his memoir and the, the narratives match completely so it's only in the later years if you find books written in the last 10 years or so where the research is a bit um, less in depth in some of the books that i've seen that have, that have come out in the last 10 years but when you go back in time and you find the older book older books it's it's very close to what the diary the narrative of the diary so it's it's all just very fascinating so do you see any similarity of uh, the war diary of asha sen between the war diary of asha sen and the diary of anne frank because both have been written by teenage girls facing uh, facing the uh, yeah facing the turmoil of war mm. exactly exactly i remember i did reread uh, and frank's diary right right after i did the translation of this book and it it's so fascinating that um, and frank was born the same year as asha san um so she was a few years younger when when she wrote her diary but you can see there's a strong similarity in terms of their voices they're teenagers they're headstrong they're opinionated they're funny it's 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 such a delightful read and i think you will see something similar in the war diary of asha san and you see that they have they're both very very patriotic and they're able to put the cause above themselves above whatever turmoil is happening in their lives um so it is a uh, very very invigorating reading both um and just very very enjoyable as well and as a translator while you were reading the hindi book and then you were attempting to kind of uh, kind of translate translating it in english did you feel any kind of pressure while working on the book because you know like netaji subhash bose is the national hero who many feel was left unsung for his contribution so was back of your mind any other factor also working while translating this book um i think i did not feel pressure as such um rather it was pressure to be true to the story that i felt so you do realize that you are writing about a very important time a very important period a very very important people um and you do realize that you want to be as true to the fact as possible 
but um, somewhere I think one I had the luxury that this was a memoir, so it's not a piece of history per se, um, but it's the reflections of a young girl. So the fact that her opinions and her views shade everything that makes it liberating. But I think we are also fortunate at this period of time that um, Netaji has come to the forefront. People are interested in the Indian National Army, in the Azad Hind government. So for me, it was actually more liberating um, to know that there are readers out there who would be interested in the story. And the fact that it's it's not just um, Netaji fans who would love to read this book, but across a wide spectrum, you'd have young people, old people, everyone. This book really appeals to everyone. So as a translator, like which was the most attractive part of the book? And anything that will always remain with you? <laughs> um, I think I just loved her early years in Japan, in Tokyo. I think also because that's when I discovered her voice and I, I realized that I was actually translating the entire book. So so her, so Asha-san, when she's in Tokyo and she's buying rations or collecting her rations, running into the trenches, you can see that she's headstrong. You can see um, she's out to have some fun with her sister, watching watching the bomber planes, watching the, the fights that are happening in the sky. So for me, I really connected with Asha-san at that point. And... Um, for me, for so, so so that was when I connected. And then there were very emotional portions of the book as well, when I wept as well while translating. So for example, when she's meeting um, the Kamakazi pilots. Um, so that was very emotional for me. Um, also, when she returns to India, I was really, really heartbroken because it was such a, such a transformation for Asha-san from Japan to be not only re- returning to India, but uh, to be in this small village in Bihar where um, it was very, very restrictive for her and she wasn't used to this. So I so I, I really connected with her at that point as well and sort of understood that um, like her story could be anyone's story. Right. Even while reading it, you know, one could identify with that very, you know, very innocent, innocent teenage years, the purity of your thoughts and the things that you want to do for the country. That came across beautifully. Thank you so much. So Tanvi, this book is also about, you know, a lot of personal accounts of the Indian freedom movement and which are really very essential bits of history and information for our generation and the and successive generations. Do you feel that we don't have enough uh, books translated? Or I mean, I mean, there are many more such books in different languages which uh, have not got translated and we need to do something about it? I think we're just very fortunate to be in this new wave of translation that's happening right now. Um, I think in the last five years or so, you'd see a lot more translations happening, both fiction and nonfiction. And I think it's so essential for me, translation is like excavation. You're finding these stories that have been buried and you're bringing them back to life. And um, while I suppose the focus right now would be translating into English, I think there's equal importance that's needed translating from English into other regional languages. Um, I just wanted to say that there's such beautiful fiction and nonfiction that has been written on the freedom movement, on people living their lives in the 1930s and 40s. And I'm actually working on a translation of a, a writer 
who's a women's writer based in Meerut, who wrote in the 30s and 40s. And her name has been obscured. Her name is uh, Hombati Devi. Um, and she's written short fiction just of ordinary lives of women, especially um, in this time period. And I think it's crucial that we bring these stories back to life, um, translate them into English, translate them into other languages. Um, and you know that there is a lot out there. And uh, I'm just very, very happy to see that both publishers and writers are embracing um, translation. And we hope that, yes, um, especially around the freedom movement, personal accounts of the freedom movement, that we do see more translation. And I urge anyone who enjoys writing to try their hand at translation. It's such a such an invigorating experience that you will not regret it. Right. And a lot of non-English vernacular uh, books are also really getting promoted, recognized and getting translated. And I think that is really a good sign for readers and the publishing industry, I guess. So, Tanvi, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the podcast of the Hindu on Books. And I wish uh, you all success for translating the War Diary of Asha San, published by HarperCollins. Thank you once again. Thank you so much, Shoma. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to The Hindu on Books. You can now find The Hindu's podcasts such as In Focus and Parley on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other major platforms. Write to us with comments and feedback at SOCMED4, S-O-C-M-E-D-4 at the rate thehindu.co.in. 